Hello, everyone, and welcome to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth. Of course, I'm joined by Mike Howerton. And as always, we are brought to you by OBQs. And if you're going to be at the Super Billiards Expo, you've got to go by the OBQ booth. They've always made the OB1 shaft. They're going to be showing their new full queue. It's a beautiful queue. I've seen all four models. You're going to like it. We're also brought to you by Border Billiards. And they have an ad on our front page, AZ Billiards front page that is permanent. Go click on that ad and check out all the things Border Billiards has to offer. And, of course, by Tiger Products, our good friends Corey and Tony. And you're going to want to take care of those folks as well because they take care of us. It's an interesting news week that Mike has on store for us here in just a moment. We've also got a great interview with Jasmine Ocean, who has qualified to play in the Men's World 8-Ball Championship in the United Arab Emirates in Fujairah. But first, Mike, talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on in the world of pool the last few days. Well, Jerry, I mean... Let's let's talk about this thing with Jasmine playing in Dubai. Um, this is is quite an interesting story. How many women out there on the international pool scene would even have an interest in going up against players of that caliber in an event that is that high a profile? Well, you know, obviously Jasmine does, and I can't wait to talk to her about it. Um, I mean. She's a heck of a player, and she has never made any bones about the fact that she wants to play against the men. And, um, you know, she does well. You know, well, I think one of the things I want to talk to her about is there's so little else for a woman to do in Europe except play against men. They don't have their own tour. Yeah, I just, I think it's very refreshing. I mean, we've seen some of the top WPBA players get special invitations to some of the matchroom events. And Mm -hmm. while they have competed, they haven't done well. And Jasmine doesn't seem to let anything like that sway her desire to get out there and play against the best players in the game. Not the best female players, but the best players in the game. You're right. And what else is going to be interesting is that this is in the United Arab Emirates. And I don't claim to be an expert on Muslim culture, but um, men and women generally do not socialize and play sports together. Uh, So it's going to be interesting not only for the players, but for the fans uh, who are not used to seeing women stand up and compete against men. I never thought about that angle. That That could definitely be interesting. Oh, it's, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. She's going to be treated very, very well. These are these are great people in Fujara, and they treat all of their guests very, very well. Uh, so she's not going to have any kind of problem or anything like that. But it's going to be a bit of a culture shock to see a woman walk out on stage. Well, it should be an interesting uh, month for her, considering she's playing in the Women's Nine Ball Championships, the WPBA event in San Diego, and the event in Dubai. Um, After something like that, I think I'd be ready for a vacation. Yeah, well, 
she could probably retire on her air miles when she finishes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's move on from uh, Jasmine. I think the big story had to be the first event on the 2008 season for the Guinness Tour. Now, yeah. the Guinness Tour takes place in various cities in Asia. And, of course, U.S. players are not invited. And this is not your typical just-go-pay-your-entry-fee sort of thing. I mean, these players are guaranteed prize money, and they have to be invited. I mean, if I'm hesitant to bring this back up again, but if you remember or if the listeners remember the big controversy last year over Alex Pagulayan not being invited to the last event, I mean, it comes down to the individual countries, and... It's no shock that the whole political thing in the Philippines reared its ugly head at this event, too. But um, we definitely had a, an all-star field of players from Asia, uh, former world champion Wu, uh, Ching Shun Yang, Pei Wei Chang. Uh, from the Philippines, Jeffrey DeLuna, Joven Bustamante, Manalo, Pagulayan, Gabika, and yep. Kawabata from Japan. Now, we had the pleasure of reading some behind-the-scenes stories from Philip Goh, who was at the event. And mm -hmm. he brought some interesting things out that, didn't, that were not part of the initial press releases. Um, what I found the most interesting was uh, Junglin Chang, who won two of the stops last year and the season finale. You would think that the way he dominated the tour last year, he would get an automatic invitation this year, but that wasn't the case. It mm -hmm. seems that Taipei based their invitations on how the players had performed in tournaments earlier in the year, and Chang was number seven on that list. So if they had just stuck with that list, Chang would not have even made it into the tournament. But as most major events are, the organizers had wild cards, and they used one of those wild cards to get Chang into the event. Now, in the past, countries have put their roster of players out there and said, these are our players who will be playing all year. And supposedly Taipei is doing things a little different this year. They've picked their four players who will go to the first two events. And any of those four players that do not make the final eight in either of the first two stops will be excluded from further events. So... Taipei is, is very serious about this. You either perform or you don't represent them on this stage. Yeah, and, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that they take that attitude. Um, it's all about representing your country, and if you can't do that, they'll find someone who will. Oh, yeah, there's no shortage of players that can represent Taipei in an event like this. Uh, <laughs> The representatives from the Philippines, of course, involved the ongoing feud that's taking place over there. The, uh, the Managers Association proudly declared that uh, Joven Bustamante and Alex Pagulayan were in the event and that they were representing the, the Philippines and they were from this manager's organization. And there were some comments made by those players that we won't get into. Uh, what they didn't mention is that those two players made it in through a wildcard invitation, and they were not the three players that were invited to participate in every event. Those players were Jeffrey DeLuna, Manalo, and Gabika. Now, once we get into the results, Bustamante did very well, so I would imagine he'll make it into future events. But it's interesting how the sides will proudly declare the news that they want out there and conveniently leave the rest of it 
out. Yeah, but, you know, hopefully that feud has now simmered down and may even be over. Well, let's hope so. I mean, it's certainly not helping any of the players. It's not helping the world billiard scene's view of the Philippines. It's really not helping anyone. No, and and it's a feud that never made sense because the managers manage players and their players need events. The event promoters don't manage players and their events need players. Those two factions should be symbiotic. They should not be feuding with one another. Absolutely not. Well, let's get into the event itself. Uh, we mentioned that, that Jung Lin Chang, who had I mean, basically owned that tour last year, yeah. he made it in through a wild card, and Philip Goh had mentioned that the pressure was most likely at a level where Chang would have to win this event in order to be assured of invitations to play for the subsequent events. And in a field like this, to pressure someone to the point where they have to win the event in order to to prove that they belong there, those are pretty yeah. hefty odds. But Absolutely. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, Chang on the Guinness Tour... He's a monster. I don't know if he just feels comfortable there or what. He uh, he made it out of the round-robin stages. He beat Gabika 9-6. He beat, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Sao Wito from Indonesia. Yeah, uh, very beat, good. Oh, wow. He beat him 9-4. That got him into the single elimination round of 16. He beat Kawabata 9-4. I'm sorry, the single elimination round of eight. He beat Kawabata 9-4. He beat Yang 9-5. And Yang has had a lot of success on the Guinness Tour. Yeah. And then he beat Joven Bustamante 11-5 in the finals. So the task was put in front of him. You win this event or we can't guarantee you that you'll be here in the future. And he did the same thing he did last year. He, he won it and... Based on those scores, I would say he won it in fairly dominating fashion. Um, and those, those were some big names to be dominating, those guys he went up against. That's impressive. Yeah. I'd like to see uh, Chang make it over here to the U.S. to play in some events. Uh, Co played in the Final Four, and he fell. Um, Bustamante beat him. Uh, there's just so much talent over there in Taipei right now. It's just amazing. Surprised me that Bustamante beat Co. I did not know that Co was human. <laughs> well, Bustamante had a great event. Uh, Jeffrey DeLuna had a, a good event, and and I found it interesting if if the listeners will think back to the show we did after the World Championships, and DeLuna had all the confidence in the world. It seemed like a different DeLuna when I read some of the remarks that he had made. It went from three or four months ago where he was saying that he knew he was the best player in the field and he was going to destroy everyone to right. he just hopes he plays well and represents his country and if he gets the roles he will win uh, maybe there's some growing up going on with him or somebody had a nice talk with him that could very well be too you know sponsors don't like to hear that I'm the best player in the room well no not unless you can prove it yeah uh, if we move back to the U.S. and we move to uh, smaller tables, the United States Bar Box Championships took place at the Sands Regency in Reno, Nevada. Now, this event was always an eight-ball and a nine-ball event. It was $10,000 added to each one, and this was run by our friend Jay Helfert. This year is the first year that the event has been taken over by Mark Griffin of the BCA mm -hmm. Pool Leagues. 
Right. And he made some changes. Uh, he went from a $10,000 added 8-ball and a $10,000 added 9-ball to a $6,000 added 10-ball, 6,000, 9-ball, and 8,000, 8-ball. Uh, so the money stayed the same. He just separated it out over three events. But he did add 4,500 out of his pocket to the all-around, uh, 3,500 to go to the men and 1,000 to go to the women. By he, you mean Mark? Mark. Uh, well, I don't know. I certainly don't have access to his checkbook. But on the surface, uh, the money was added, and it was added by the organizer. So we'll go ahead and give Mark credit for that. Okay. Uh, Ten-ball event took place first. Uh, Shane Van Boning, right off the bat. You know, Shane hadn't won for a week, so... Yeah, you know, he, Yeah, it, it was, he was ready, and, and he got that out of the way quickly. Uh, he defeated Edwin Montal, went undefeated. Nice little $4,000 payday for a couple, three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nine-ball event was next, and Jonathan Pinnegar, or Jonathan Hennessy, or whatever ID he's using this week. Wade Crane, whatever. Yeah. He... Uh, <laughs> He beat John Mora for the hot seat, and then Gabe Owen beat John Mora on the one-loss side. Now, Gabe came over and won the first set of the finals, but Pinnegar, Hennessy, uh, won the second set. So Pinnegar won the nine ball. Uh, Shane didn't do very well in that one. The big story, at least to me, and this is probably only to me, was the eight-ball event was won by a player that I have mentioned many times on this show, Mitch Ellerman. Young player from Arizona. He got all the way to the match for the hot seat. He lost to Jose Perica. He came back out of the one loss side, beat Perica twice for what I am positive is the largest payday he has had so far as a pool player. He won $6,000 for winning the eight ball division. And all of us in Arizona are very proud of Mitch for that accomplishment. Congratulations, Mitch. Mitch is a, I mean, I've said it many times, he's a great player. He plays with with pure confidence. He gets down, he looks at a shot, he fires. Uh, I asked him one day why that was, you know, why he didn't slow down, and he said, I get bored. He said, I look at the shot, I know what I want to do, I know how I want to hit it. If I practice stroke it three or four times, I get bored. He says, I just get down and hit the ball. Um He's struggled a little bit recently. I think he's going through a little bit of a, an identity crisis. Um, I had a conversation with him a while back, and he made the comment that if he had to be a person who was cocky and aggressive and, and over-the-top towards other players in order to be the best player he could be, that he didn't want to be the best player he could be. But he doesn't have to be. I mean, if you look at examples like Efren Reyes, uh, he obviously doesn't have to be that. No, he doesn't. And I hope that this event gives him the confidence that he deserves to go ahead and and continue competing successfully here in Arizona. I mean, the the Olhausen Tour is not going on this year, but a couple of the players have come together and have formed a, I believe, seven-stop tour here in Arizona. I hope Mitch does well. Um, He's a good story, and he's somebody that I've watched for a while. I I just want the best from him. If we move on, uh, we'll actually stick with Arizona players. Uh, This whole show seems to be devoted to Arizona to to a great degree. Um, The WPBA held their regional tour championships at Capone's in Florida. 64 players competing for 
what is arguably the biggest prize to any regional pool player. I mean, these players will travel hundreds of miles to play in a qualifier for the possibility of winning it and earning the right to play in one WPBA event. This regional tour championship, which, to be honest, was created by Mike Hurst four or five years ago and has now become a WPBA thing that they run themselves, this tournament offers the winner of the event five paid WPBA spots. That's an awful lot of pressure off of a player's shoulders knowing that you're set for the year. You can go, you don't have to qualify anymore, you're there. They can't take that away from you. But that's not the same as touring pro status, is it? No. Um, and and that whole situation confuses me a little bit. Maybe we should get uh, one of the WPBA board members on one day to explain that whole thing. And, and I see explanations of it in different places. Uh, touring pros are automatically invited, and then if you're in the next group of spots, you can you can fill empty spots, and, and then regional tours have a certain number of events that they can provide qualifiers for, so the whole thing's a little complicated, but... Okay. It but we know that Susan's in the next five events. Right. The event was won by Susan Mello from Arizona. Um, now, Susan has competed on the WPBA for the past two or three years, and she has struggled a little bit. One or two matches won at each event. Hopefully, a win at this event, because she beat some pretty serious players. She beat Heather Lloyd. She beat Morgan Steinman. Both of those players, as soon as I looked at the brackets, I thought were going to be favorites to do well. And she beat Ellen Van Buren in the finals. And although she only beat her 9-7, she led the match 8-4 at one time. And I would imagine the immenseness of what she was about ready to do might have finally gotten to her. And Ellen, I also understand when she was down 8-4, she kind of changed her mindset to, I can't do anything wrong now. I mean, you know, when you're down 8-4, you can't let the pressure get to you. you got to just play now. And when I spoke to the tournament directors, they said that she kind of changed gears a little bit when she was down 8-4. So... Partly the the close score was due to Ellen turning it up a notch and letting the pressure roll off her shoulders, and maybe Susan starting to feel the pressure a little bit. But Susan did win at 9-7. Hopefully a win against a field of players like that will give her the confidence that she needs going into the upcoming WPBA season. Well, we will hope that uh, this allows the Mad Hatter to come out of the looking glass. Uh, let's see, last bit of news I've got, which I, I don't know, I guess you could say it's good news, uh, we'll discuss it. It also centers around Arizona. Um, the upcoming Desert Shootout, which will take place on April 24th through 27th, has now been sanctioned as a UPA event. So that should be a good thing for everyone, right? You would think. Yeah. Um, let's rewind back to the beginning of the show, and we'll talk about Jasmine and the World 8-Ball Championships that take place yeah. on the 18th through the 25th of April. I smell a conflict. Oh, yeah. So you've got four players. Now, I only know of two players right now, Mike Davis and Shane Van Boning, who are scheduled to go to Dubai and compete for the United States for the opportunity to win the World 8-Ball Championship. Right. That means that they will not be in Phoenix, 
well, they most likely will not be in Phoenix playing in the Desert Shootout, which is a points event for the UPA. And we all know that the top 12 ranked North American players on the UPA rankings as of May 15th receive invites to the World Nine Ball Championship. Well, yes and no. I talked to Frank Alvarez this morning about this. Right. Because... And this is all. This is all now up in. This is really a, a, a bit of tumult. Um, any UPA-sanctioned event that you win or come in second place in automatically qualifies you for the World Nine Ball Championship. Okay, let me correct you real quick, and I don't think it's a correction that will matter in this one, but. Okay. Uh, when I saw this whole thing start to break, I went out and did some research. I went back to the press release that Matchroom put out, I believe three years ago, that discussed their new qualification system for the World Nine Ball Championships. And one of the items is the top 12 UPA players. The other is the winner and runner-up from each UPA event with a field of 48 or more players from the last 12 months ending on May 15th. Now, I don't think it'll matter because $25,000 added is going to draw 48 players. Right. But that is one correction to make. Um, but, well, yes. There's, there's more corrections yet. Okay. Because I, when I talked to Frank about this, I decided to call Luke Riches at Matchroom. Oh, okay. I talked to him a couple of hours ago. He said, yes, that has been the way it has been. Up until this year. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That now the WPA is not giving out all these wild card slots to promoters to do with as they wish. Because that agreement was not between the UPA and the WPA. That agreement was between Matchroom and the UPA. Well, now there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is WPA. So Luke said, yeah, I need to call Frank and tell him that things have changed somewhat because the WPA, and to my knowledge, they haven't announced it yet, is reserving the right to decide who does and who does not participate in their world championships. So now they could decide, WPA could decide, hey, we like that formula, let's just stay with that formula. But they could also decide, no, North America has 16 slots. Four of them go to Canada, 12 of them go to the United States, and we're going to go with the top 12 in rankings. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happened. I'm just saying that it's going to change. We don't know what the change is yet. Wow. Hopefully that announcement comes before April because I think these players are going to have to take a hard look at what events they compete in. Oh, see, for me, that's not even a choice. If you've got the chance to win a world championship, if you've got the, the opportunity to play in a world championship, you go to the world championship simply because you want that on your resume when you're out there looking for sponsors. Well, I mean, what, where does this put those players knowing that by doing what is logical to them and competing in this world championship with the possibility of, of winning it, they are losing the possibility to earn points from the same organization that asked them to go to the world championship. That is a problem, isn't it? Yeah. 
you've been to Dubai and and you know the way that event works. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. They take the they take the the 64 players. They play them round robin for what two or three days. Okay, and then after they get it down to 32 players, don't they take a day off where there's no competition at all? What well, they have. They, they, they sometimes do and they sometimes don't. Um, it pretty much depends on how tired the player, how, how, long the field, how long the tournament has been running up until that point. If it's been running late and, and people you know, are tired, uh, they give the players a day off, and last year they took us out for a uh, a safari in the desert, which was great. But yeah, you, you a few years we've taken a day off in the middle. And let me correct you, by the way, we fly into Dubai, but the event itself is in Fujairah. Okay. It looks like in order for a player to really have an opportunity to compete in both events... If they went over there and they played and they did not make the final 16, it appears as if, based on schedules from last year, they might be able to be on a plane on Wednesday. Um, yep. You know, They'll gain time coming back over from there. So if they were knocked out, did not make the final 16, they could be on a plane Wednesday, they could arrive back in Phoenix Wednesday afternoon, and they could be ready to play in the shootout on Thursday. There certainly wouldn't be any problem with a change of climate going from the desert to the desert, so that wouldn't be a problem. Of course not. <laughs> well, it's certainly a, a situation that I think there's more to than what we see on the surface, and we'll have to watch as it plays out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, pool, it always changes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, have you got any more news, or shall we talk with our guest. No, let's bring our guest on. I'm interested in hearing what she has to say. Let's do that. Jasmine, are you there? Uh, hi, I'm there. Hey, great. Jasmine, um, we recently posted the news that you had qualified for the Men's World 8-Ball Championship in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, we're thinking that there are very few ladies who would even think about trying to qualify for that event. Can you tell us the thought process you went through about making the decision uh, to try and qualify for what is a men's event? Well, I, I wouldn't exactly say that there was a long process behind it because, you know, my, my trainer and me, we always knew that we want to play with a man. It was always our philosophy to do that. So we knew that if the time is, is there and if we're ready, we will try. And um, when we got the, the offer to actually play at the qualifier, it was for us 100% sure that we will do it. And um, because we still think that it's the best way to improve your game. You have to compete with the best. The best are the men right now. And we also think there's nothing to lose. So uh, just do it and, 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 and do your best, I think. Jasmine, having played both the WPBA and the Euro Tour, you've played pretty much the the best of the best on the men's side and on the women's side. What do you see as the main difference between a man's game and a woman's game right now? Um, I think uh, that the main difference is that the uh, man's game is a lot more accurate and uh, you get punished for your mistakes a lot harder and more often. Um, I also think that uh, they're a lot more consistent and, um, of course, the field is so much bigger, and you will play really good players a lot more often than with the women. So you got to keep up the good level for a lot longer and get less breaks. 
So, um, and that's, uh, it is really, really hard competition, but that's the way to improve your game, and, and, um, and I think it's good. Well, that means that you are now, this spring, going to be playing in two world championships uh, within a month of one another, one eight ball, one nine ball. Does it present you a problem that you're going to have to be prepared to play two different formats within 30 days of one another in a world championship setting? Well, it will be definitely a tough physical and mental challenge, and to prepare for both events is amazingly difficult. Of course, there are a few aspects of the, of the games that are similar, so you can combine it, but we will split uh, our training so that we will focus on eight ball in one week and then nine ball in another week. Uh, so that I can give my head the time and chance to actually store it right. But I think uh, also a big challenge is that in between these two world championships, we have a pro event uh, of the WPBA in San Diego. So we are going back and forward having different jet lags, and um, that's always gonna, also going to be a big challenge. So we will prepare as good as we can and hope that we can get the best out of it. Speaking of the WPBA San Diego event, uh, you've got another year of WPBA events coming up. Two years ago, when you really made your splash on the WPBA with the win in Vegas, um, you came on like gangbusters and everybody expected that you were just going to dominate the game. But last year, you struggled a little bit. There weren't any uh, tournament wins. There was a 17th place finish at the U.S. Open. What do you think happened last year? Did the other girls just bring their game up a level, or were you struggling a little bit more than you were in the past? Well, I think um, you also got to see that in 2006 when I won the BCA Open, it was only my only event in that year. And last year I only played a few more events, where so I couldn't actually make that many points because I wasn't playing everything. And um, it's it's hard, you know. You come you come to the tour, and everybody expects you to just go there and win everything. I'm just a normal human being and not a machine. And uh, but I also, I mean, the, the year 2007 started out pretty well with a second place in San Diego and a third in Vegas. And uh, but I gotta admit that the second half of the year I was struggling with my game a little bit. But I also know that a lot of things happened in my life. And um, and uh, when I look back on last year, it wasn't really, it wasn't a good year, but it was a year full of new experiences, and I learned a lot, and I found out a lot of things about myself, and I hope that this will help me in the future. And to be honest with you, I don't think that a fast way to the top is good anyway, because good things take time. When you struggle like that, when you say that you had gone through some things in life, is that something where you and your trainer, Mike, get back together and, and decide to go over different aspects of your game? I mean, you, you come away from each event with an idea of what you need to improve, and then you work on that after the event. Is that correct? Uh, of course, we always have a feedback, uh, feedback time after, uh, after the event to where we talk about what we could do uh, in the next training session, what, uh, what was good in the tournament, what was not so good in the tournament. We're always tr tr uh, trying to improve our game, so that's part of his and my job. And, uh, of course, we always do that. I think it's, that's very, very important for the training. Jerry and I are the most familiar with the pool scene here in America where the players just go out and they, they put their entry fee out there. They play in the event. If they did well, that's great. If they didn't do well, okay, I'll try to play better next time. But you have 
a trainer where you prepare for events before you come in and you have that feedback session. What is the difference in mindset there? Is this more a European thing where the European players have trainers and they do this? Or is this just something that you are doing different than some of the other players? And do you see this as something that will happen more in the future with players? Uh, I think that it's uh, not only a European thing. I, I think it's a sports thing. When you look at other top uh, sports, tennis or soccer or whatever, they always have coaches, managers, trainers. And so I think it's 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 just normal to actually to actually have that. And uh, I would I would still consider myself as a lucky person because I uh, I'm working together with Michael now for 16 years, and um, he's always been on my side. He knows me so well. He just looks at me sometimes and knows knows what's going on. And that's I think that that is what makes us so special. We are just a team. We have a goal together, and we're working for that goal. And I hope. That players in the future will do that will do the same because it's definitely the way to go. It uh, it's great for the for the athlete and of course uh, being being together with, uh, with somebody all the time who helps you who helps you through tough times and who prepares stuff for you so that you can focus on the sport is great and it uh, it helped me a lot and I hope it will help other people too. Well, besides the two world championships that are coming up this spring and the WPBA events. What other events are you going to be playing in this year? Are you going to go to Asia any, and are you playing on the Euro Tour events at all? Um, well, since it will be the first full year in WPBA, uh, we will play a lot more in the U.S., of course. But uh-huh. it won't only be our main focus, because we will keep playing the main Euro Tour. Uh, we will also go or try to go to Asia a lot more, because the market there is getting bigger and bigger, of course. So we're going traveling all around the world. We're gone in a year two, 200 days a year, in a year. So and and now going maybe to the straight pool world championship for the men, of course. So we're also trying to play more men events, and uh, it's it's so it's going to be a pretty packed schedule for us again. Jasmine, have you played in many of the Asian events that have taken place over there? And if so, uh, what? How do you feel about those events? Well, going to Asia is always interesting because pool is so popular there and you always feel like a little star. And I think uh, we all know that the market for pool players is getting bigger and bigger, so we will definitely keep going there. Uh, they're always having TV coverage, and I think they uh, have really good events there. They really love pool, and the people love pool. So, And going there is just always very, very nice, and we're always looking forward to it. Jasmine, you do play against the men in Europe, and you do very, very well. But to my knowledge, there is no European tour specifically for women. So is there truly a road for European women to travel if they want to be a professional pool player? Well, I mean, it is true that for women, there are not that many events here in Europe. That's, that's true. I mean, the WPVA is right now the best pro tour for the women. And, of course, if you want to really play with the women and stuff, you have to travel to the U.S. But uh, you should also consider that there are a lot of things going on here in Europe. I'm, um, I'm having a lot of training uh, exhibitions here. I uh, do all my press work here. I have a lot of sponsors here, so I have a lot of work to do here as well. The main Euro tours are here, uh, which is like one of the strongest uh, tours in the world. And um, so 
for me it was always, or for us, it was always important to also play with the men. So for me, it's not an option to just go to the U.S. and play the WPBA because there is so much other stuff uh, happening here too in Europe. And um, so I think for me, it's all, it's been always been very important to be here too. And um, yeah, so I'm going to every continent. I think there, every continent has its good and great events. And um, yeah, that's the way how it looks for us. Well. Uh, back in December, I was privileged to be able to watch your brother, Albin, play at the World Junior Championships in Germany. And I must say I was very impressed with the young man's game. Uh, do you two spend much time practicing together? And when you play, who wins? Um, well, actually, we're not practicing together. Um, when we sometimes played, I won and sometimes he won. So it was, but we are not really practicing together. He's right now not that focused on pool. So uh, there's he's, he he is a very good player. He has talent, but I think he has to find himself first. Since we're at the beginning of the year, we're just getting started, and and we've talked about the different events that you'll be playing in for, through the year. Do you and Michael sit down at the beginning of the year and work out? Uh, a list of goals, so to speak, that that you would be happy if you achieved those goals within the year? Well, of course, I think we're still kind of waiting for the uh, world championship title in the women's division. Um, we're always looking forward to play the men events, and hopefully we can still uh, compete successfully in these events. But uh, one of my personal goals is just uh, maybe to look at things a little bit more relaxed at times and... Um, and we're we're looking forward to the event. We're doing the best, and let's hope it works out. And I'm also trying to do my job more often with a smile on my face. Well, I know you've got a lot of fans here in the U.S., and they all wish you as much luck as possible in all the events you play in. Jasmine, uh, many international pool players such as yourself have sponsors that help them with their expenses as they travel around the world. On, who's in your camp? Who are who are your sponsors? Well, I mean, of course, my sponsors here, Canton Sport and Kellogg and Union, are very very big sponsors. But I don't think that the American uh, well people will know these uh, companies. But of course, I want to thank Predator. Uh, we've been working together for some time now. They've always been supporting me. So very uh, thank you very much to Predator. And um, on that way, I actually just want to say thank you to all my American fans. Because it's it's always been nice to come into the to, to the to the states, uh, and I know they like pool very much, and they always give me a very good time. So thank you for your support, and I hope uh, I will get the support in the future too. So Jasmine, thank you very very much. Uh, we really appreciate your time today. It's always great to speak to you, and we want to wish you luck in your two upcoming world championships and everything else you do in 2008. Please tell Michael hello for us. I'm sure we will see you very soon. Thank you for the uh, interview. It was a pleasure talking to you. And um, I will do my best at the World Championship. Great. Thanks, Jasmine. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Mike, it doesn't sound like Jasmine's trying to slow down any at all. No, she's young and she's got all that energy. And I guess if I played pool as good as her, I'd be out there playing every chance I had, too. Well, I can't wait to watch her play in Fujara. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's going to be exciting to watch her uh, go up against those fellas. And uh, I, 
Wish her all the luck in the world, both there and in the Women's World Nine Ball Championship. Um, but that's just about it for this week. We've covered all the news. We've had our guests. So if all of you listeners will please remember OB1 and Border Billiards and Tiger Products, we sure do appreciate you. And for Mike Howerton, I'm Jerry Forsyth. We're going to take a week off next week. We'll see you all at the Super Billiards Expo in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And we'll be back the week after that with another show. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.